Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Well, I would like to welcome you here today. Yes, we're not as full, but you know, the NFL schedule, I was just thinking about it. The NFL schedule came out this week. Yeah, I'm a rabid football fan. Ooh, Linda, I'd like to see that, the passion. You know, and you know what we always look at? You always look at the bye weeks, right? Well, you know, in the church, there are no bye weeks. Even though last week was Easter, this is not a bye week. I don't care if you have Easter malaise. I don't care what has happened this past week. We are here to worship God. We are resurrection people, as you heard from Naeem this morning. And listen, I have not taken a week off. I have prepared just as hard as I prepared last week. And I am excited. I can't wait to bring you to start a series here this morning on the book of Philippians. Yes, the happiest book of the Bible. So are you ready? Put your seatbelts on. I will captain the ship to that ship, whatever, the plane, whatever, wherever we're going. And we're going to go on a a journey. So I hope that you have your Bibles. We're going to start in the first chapter. And I'm really not in a rush in this series. I mean, if it was really up to me, the, the more I study the book... I could spend 30, you know, I'm not doing this, but I could spend 30 plus weeks on, on the whole book, which is four chapters. Now, I wanted to start with just some thoughts. You know, I think there's an amazing power in sending and receiving mail. Is there not? Real mail. Not email, not text messages. I know it's 2014. I'm talking about receiving real mail. How many of you go to the mailbox every day and you sort through the mail and you try to get rid of all the junk mail and you're looking for a handwritten maybe letter or card from a friend or family member? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You live to 70 years old. The average average person will go through, spend eight months of their life going through junk mail. Yeah, eight months. And you know what annoys me now? You know what annoys me? Let me tell you. When I go out to the mailbox and I'm sorting through the mail and there are those computer-generated letters and it looks like it's a real written letter from another human being and you open it up and it's from some company, right? And they're trying to get money from you or business. Doesn't that bother you? I want to start sending letters back to them, like pretending I, have, I don't have money in here, but I'll tell you what I do have. And I, I won't share what I really want to say, but wouldn't that be nice to do that back to them? Well, I get annoyed by that, but we love receiving real mail from real people. Well, that, this morning, we're starting this series on the book of Philippians. You may know it as a book in the Bible, as one of Paul's epistles, right? Yeah, it's a book, but it's a letter, Understand that right from the outset. This is a letter that was written from a man named Paul to his friends in an ancient Grecian town named Philippi. Thus the Philippian people. Do you know, and I, coming, reading, I read way too many commentaries, but I love that. So much fun to break down what the, the text is really saying. And I found that there are 21 different kinds of letters that were written, written in the ancient world. 21 kinds of letters. This book, this letter, follows the format of what is known as a friendly letter. You see, something is going on. The style and the language in this letter suggests that Paul, who wrote upwards just about a third of the New Testament, that Paul had a special relationship with the Philippians. A special relationship. My, my wife would probably use the term they were BFFs, they were buffers. 
They were. There's some, when you read this text, certain things just jump out. His love and adoration and, and the support. And we're going to get into the background of the story today, which I am stoked out of my mind about. And so 20, you know, you know, centuries ago, 2,000 plus years ago, there's an itinerant tent maker by the name of Paul who is sitting in a prison cell. Know that too, and I'll explain more about this. But he's in a prison cell in Rome, writing this letter on scratchy, stiff paper. And there he is, he's writing this, and what you probably don't know about this letter when it was written is that Nero is the emperor of Rome. And why do I say that? Well, Nero was actually a very prolific author. He wrote many books, but his literary output, like today, I don't hear of anybody talking about things that Nero had written. But when we look at this letter and we look at the other letters in the New Testament from this man named Paul, millions and millions of people know who he is, have read his stuff. And let me tell you, it's interesting, too, that people named their dogs Nero and their kids, their sons, Paul. Right. You think about that. If you were to tell, go back 2,000 years and say, hey, Nero, let me tell you something, buddy. That guy that's over there in a prison, right, that you have, you captured him and he's there, he caused a disturbance. That guy right there will be more well-known than you 2,000 years from now. He would have not, there's no way he would have believed that. But it's true. And he was part of a movement. He spearheaded a movement with some of Jesus' disciples who were there right after the resurrection. And this movement, thank you very much, is still going very strong today. The joy of the Christian experience, if you're taking notes, is the dominant theme in this book. Thus, happiest book of the Bible. The words joy and rejoice are used 16 times in this letter. Now, I'm not just talking about happiness as the world talks about happiness. I mean, I've read many books in positive psychology, Dan Gilbert's Stumbling Onto Happiness, a seminal book in the field of, of positive psychology. I'm talking about happiness and joy in the midst of very difficult situations, in the midst of sitting in a jail cell. Yeah, that's what this book is really about. And we're going to talk about a different kind of joy there. C.S. Lewis said on joy, said joy is the serious business of heaven. He didn't say work was. He didn't say boredom is the serious business of heaven. He said joy was. G.K. Chesterton, you know what he said? He said, you have to, to understand God, you have to understand one thing. He is the happiest being in the universe. Where is our joy as Christians? People should see that. They should see that joy. It should be uh, contagious, infectious. People should say, wow, there's something different, that it's the Monday after Easter and we're back at work and that guy or that woman is really happy. Why are they so happy? Maybe they were listening to that song on their way to work. I don't know, but they're happy. Karl Barth, one of the great uh, theologians from the 20th century, you don't hear me quote him a lot, I've read more of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's works than I have Barth's works. Um, Barth was a mentor to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer, during the uh, Nazi regime, Hitler's regime in World War II, led an underground church movement, one of my favorite saints from the past. But this is what Barth said. He said, it is astonishing how many references there are in the Old and New Testaments to delight, joy, bliss, exultation, merry, making and rejoicing, and how emphatically these are demanded from the book of Psalms to the epistle to the Philippians. 
commanded. Did you get that? That last part? Not, hey, if you want to, if you're up for it. No, it is commanded that we be a joyous people. I'm not, again, I, I have to preface it. We're not talking about fake joy. Make yourself happy. Put a smile on your face. Talking about finding real contentment in maybe difficult circumstances. That's what Paul's talking about, and that's what we're going to delve into in this book. And so I said to you, he is writing this from a jail cell. And what is interesting about this is, I didn't put the verse up, but if you look in Philippians 1.13, it talks about the palace guard. And Paul had an opportunity to bring the gospel to probably a, a plethora of the troops. And these were the elite troops. These were the, the Navy SEALs. He was chained up to these Navy SEAL troops. Every, they would have four-hour shifts. So imagine that you were there, that he, Paul is not by himself. He is shackled. His wrists and his hands would have been shackled. He is next to one of these Roman guards, four hours. Another Roman guard comes in. Another four hours. Another guy comes in. What do you think Paul is doing the whole time? Yes, he is giving them the gospel. Though he is in chains, he is not deterred. He does not care what his conditions are, what it may look like. He knows who, he has met the risen Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. And he can't live without proclaiming the gospel and bring it to these other people. That's what's going on here. It is also wild when you think about it, something that is very little talked about in the ancient world. You may have known that Paul was in a prison, right? When he wrote this, you've been a Christian for a long time. Did you know that the Romans did not provide food? For the people when you were in prison. Did you know that? You had to have friends and family provide food for you. Your existence depended on other people that loved you and knew you to bring food to you on a daily basis. Otherwise, you were going to starve in that prison. Yeah, that's where Paul is. Did you get anything? Did you ever? Well, when, you, when we read this together, try to tell me that's, that there's a man that is worried or anxious about his next meal. I'm Italian. I'm worried about what I'm going to eat for lunch. I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat for dinner. I'm already thinking about what I'm going to eat tomorrow for breakfast. This guy doesn't care. All he cares about is having that relationship with God. And he trusts who God is in his life. He mentions numerous times in this book that he's in chains four times in the first chapter. And so let me start here. I'm going to start from the top. I'm going to read you the first five verses. And then I'm going to give you the history of what's really going on here. You have to stay with me today in the beginning as I move you through the history. Because if you don't see the history, what good is the whole book? Because there's a point to this. And I want you to see the foundation of this church at Philippi. So we start here in the beginning, verses 1 through 5. I've underlined that last verse there. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. That is strong language. I could spend a lot of time on that. I'm not, but it's very strong language there showing how it just, he exudes it, it, that love. It oozes out of him that he has for the Philippians. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with, with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. Now, understand the story I'm going to tell you in a little bit. This is going to be, he writes this, this letter 10 years after he has already met the Philippians. 
So scholars, we, they estimate that this is about 60 to 62 AD that this, this book is actually written. Okay? That's going to be important in a minute. Now, the one word that I want to focus on for a minute, and many of you that are Christians, you've been a Christian for some time, you probably know this one word, that word fellowship right there, and that word in the Greek is koinonia. And you've heard, I've heard Pastor Linda since I was a kid talk about koinonia and fellowship, what it means. In this sense of the word, it means fellowship, right? Well, in this sense of the word, it connotes a first century business partnership or financial relationship. You see... They are not just, these are not just people that have heard the message of Jesus Christ. It's a business partnership. It is participation. That's what it connotes. These are not just people who have heard the gospel from this guy, Paul, and they are enamored with it and they, they buy into it. No, no, no. These are people that are actually supporting him financially. These are people that are not just giving assent to certain tenets or principles of the Christian faith. These are people that are actually walking the walk. They're not just talking the talk. They have not just learned about the gospel and said, Jesus was a great guy. Yeah, he died on a cross and was resurrected three days later. No, 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 no. Please, that is not what's going on here. These are people that are all in with Paul in sharing the gospel and bringing it forward to people that have never heard it. Changes it a little bit, doesn't it? When you hear the real context of the word. Now, let's get to the background of the story. Are you ready for this? This is where you have to really stay with me. Try not to get lost. In the previous verse that I showed you, right? In verse five, look what it says again. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. It's not just some, he's not just throwing that in there. There is something that happened on the first day and he's bringing it forward 10 years later and he wants them to know and he wants them to remember. He wants to thank them for what they did on that first year. You don't have to turn there in your Bibles if you don't want to, but the story really is in Acts 16. You see, I'm only going to put a couple of verses up because it would take me a long time if I put all the verses up and explain the whole story. So I'll paraphrase things. I'm going to give you the highlights. Paul had no intention of ever going to what is known as Macedonia, where Philippi is. He had no intention of ever making his way there. He has a vision one night, and there is a man that is in this vision. And the man is kind of like, hey, Paul, go to Macedonia. Come see us. Come see us. Pretty cool over here. Right? Again, had no intention of ever going there. He winds up going there. And this is where the interesting part is. You see, when he gets there, now I'll read it in the text. I'll show you in Acts 16. This is what happens, starting in verse 11. Therefore, sailing, now he's, this is his second missionary journey. There are three missionary, missionary journeys with Paul. He's traveling all over the place. I'm not really delving into that. But therefore, in Acts 16, therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. And if best thing, if you don't know how to pronounce a word, you just pretend like you do. And the next day came to Neapolis. And from there, Philippi, which is the farmost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. This is Luke writing. Luke is a historian, right? A follower of Jesus. He is also a doctor, a meticulous historian, I should say. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city, to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. Here we go. Here's a map. To give you an idea, because you're like, James, I don't know what that means. What does that mean to me? Yeah, it was probably pretty far. Well, I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. Philippi to Rome, um, we estimate if you went by sea, 
It would take you, go land and then go by sea. It would take you probably about three months. It was about 750 miles. If you just went by land, it was about double that. And going by land, it would have taken you much longer. Here is a guy that is willing to leave his people, probably has a family, is willing to leave his family to support this one man, Paul, who has brought him the gospel. Are you kidding me? This is 10 years later. This is the relationship. You want to talk about uh, brotherhood or fellowship? Remember, koinonia. It's a lot stronger than, hey, let's just have pie and hang out and have bagels after church. No, it's, hey, I'm going to lay my life down for you because I know you laid your life down for me because you went to a prison cell for me. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And let me tell you, every commentary I read how dangerous the route was. These aren't roads like we have today. And you could just kind of, well, it is a little dangerous sometimes when you're walking and worried about people throwing things at you. But um, that happened to me when I was biking. I'm still scarred by it. But walking from Philippi all the way to Rome was quite dangerous. Taking a boat was very dangerous as well. This wasn't an easy, this wasn't an easy trek for this guy or whomever he is with. This is quite difficult, but here is a man that is willing to do anything to bring the gospel, to to bring food and supplies to this one man, Paul, that he has met 10 years prior. Are you with me? Yes, good. Let's move on to verse six, where I'm going to camp out for a while. One of the most quoted scriptures in all of the Bible, 1-6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's one, probably the, the classic commentary on Philippians was written by a guy who's in his 80s. His name is Jerry Hawthorne. And this is what he said. When God is involved, whatever he begins already has the end in sight. I just love that. I thought that was really good. Your life, your future. And I want you to notice the first thing. And you may say this is really simple, simple observation. It says he, that first word right there, he. It doesn't say you who began a good work in you. You didn't start anything. You didn't create your body, your DNA, all your genes, all that stuff. No, no, no. There is one. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Not you. You don't do anything. There is somebody who starts and somebody who finishes. Think of like a game or whatever, like a a baseball game. He who starts the game is going to finish. We don't need a relief pitcher. Thank you very much, Mariano Rivera. We don't need you. God's saying, when I start something, I finish it. I go all the way. I don't stop. I see it through until it comes to fruition. That's what this is saying, right? So I ask you, no, no, that wasn't good enough. It's the week after, that wasn't good enough. How much power does he have? How much power does he have to see this through? Not in Paul's life, not in other followers in the first century. How much power does he have to see this through in your life? He has all the power he needs. You see, we forget a lot of times when we look at God. He has enough power to part the Red Sea. He has enough power to take water out of a rock so people can drink. He has enough power, right, to turn water into wine at a wedding ceremony. He has power to calm a storm. He has power to walk on water when he wants to get out of a boat. 
He has power to deliver people. He has power to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. He has the power to deliver people like Elijah, right, from Jezebel. He has the power to deliver David from Goliath. He has the power to deliver Esther from Haman. He has the power to deliver a young baby and save a young baby that is in a manger 2,000 years ago. And there's an evil king on the throne that wants to take him out. No, he has the power. He has the power to overcome that. And as we heard about last week, he has the power to overcome death. He has the power to roll away the stone. We tell you something. This God that you're here this, the Bible, this, this book, God has not lost any of his power today to move in your life. And the problem is, we look at things as if they're too big and he can't do it. Well, I'm here to, I'm here to tell you today, he has the power to change your heart. He has the power to help you resist temptation. He has the power to help you speak the truth. He has the power to help you love a very difficult person in your life. And he has the power to help you endure suffering. That's who your God is, and that's what he has the power to do. Isn't that what you ache for? Isn't that what we ache for? We ache for marriages to be restored. I'm just writing stuff down. I ache for lives to be put back together. Don't we ache for poverty to be eradicated? Don't we ache yesterday morning that everybody would have a hot meal during the day? Come on, aren't those the things we're looking for? Aren't we aching for justice to roll like water? Aren't we aching for sex trafficking to end? Aren't we aching for Long Island to become a beacon of moral beauty? Yes, Long Island. I didn't say Middle Island. I said Long Island. Aren't we aching to see things happen in the middle of this insane consumption that we live in? The age of consumption, let's call it what it is. For the ability to speak only truth in the midst of this hype and deception. For the ability to trust God without worrying in the midst of a very anxious world. And for a community of followers of Jesus Christ to be filled with love and joy and servanthood. That we can't keep people away. That they want to come back. That the priesters want to come back in after Easter. He hasn't lost any of his power. And I don't know, but I'm praying, Lord, you know, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. You've done miraculous things before. I know you still have the power to heal. I know you still have the power to reconcile marriages. I know you still have the power to take wayward kids and bring them back. He still has that power. And you know what? There are people in here right now that you may feel like quitting. You want to quit. Maybe there is a child that you have and you know, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you haven't seen anything happen. I would say to you today, he who began a good work in your son or daughter will be faithful to complete it. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks right now. He who began a good work in your marriage, you stood before an altar and you gave your, you, you took your vows before, before your family and friends and before God. He will be faithful to see you through, to see you through a difficult time. Maybe you're going through a tough stretch spiritually. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe it has to do with your sexuality. Maybe it has to do with your money or it has to do with anger. There's some issue and you say, you know what? I've tried this Christian thing. It's too hard and you want to quit. And I would say, no, there's so much at stake. And the evil one wants to take us out of the game. But remember, saints, I can't say it enough times because I know how we are. As I am a teacher, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. I want to drill it into your heads with a drill gun. problem is, you hear that and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The problem is, we have to wait. Anybody like waiting? 
Nobody? You know why you hate waiting? Because you live in a horn honking, FedExing, fast food eating, microwaving society. That's where you live. The other day, I'm on my la- I pull my laptop out, and I boot it up, and I'm, come on, come on, come on, right? You've been there with me, right? You go to work, whatever, you boot up that computer, and you're like, what's wrong with us? We have no patience. We can't wait for anything. God is saying to us today, yes, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it, but it may not be in your time. It's in his time, and he knows what he's doing. Remember, he started the game. He's going to finish the game. He knows he's going to make you a complete product. He knows exactly what he needs to do. Ben Patterson, my favorite line of the sermon. Here it is. A scholar, this is what he writes, talks about waiting. I love this. Come on, Ben. (laughs) Who you become while you're waiting is as important as what you're waiting for. Oh, write that down. Please write that down. You're not going to remember that. Who you become while you're waiting is as important. And I would say sometimes, listen, who am I? But I would say sometimes probably more important. Are you with me on that, Pastor Otis? Might be more important than what you're waiting for. Who you become. Can I give you an example? We, Megan and I, and some of you know this, Megan got up at, like, at a, a um, prayer meeting a couple weeks ago and shared about our experience over the past few months. I didn't say much from the pulpit when I was preaching. I just preached, did my thing. She goes into the doctor's office one day. This is like, I don't even know, what, February? Maybe at some point in February. Leave, you know, baby has torticollis, which is like the neck in the womb is like a certain way, has uh, three hernias. And as she's leaving, right, all fixable things, as she's leaving, one of the doctors there says to her, I don't like that baby's cry. You need to go to a genetic counselor genetic counselor. She's on the way out. This is in front of everybody there in the office. My wife is mortified. Everybody's there, no privacy, just kind of says this out loud. And there you are as a mother. She leaves the office and we have to make an appointment to go to a genetic counselor. We make the appointment. Uh, my parents come with us. We go in there and we, we have that um, counseling session, whatever you want to call it. Lady says, well, everything looks okay, but, you know, we'll have to get, I don't know, we'll have to get blood results. I can't tell you. I never know until I see the, you know, the results from the blood. We ask, how, how long is that going to take? Four weeks. Four weeks. Let me tell you, though. My family can attest to this. I will not, tra- I would never trade those four weeks for anything because I became a different person. And I had to dig in deep to who God was as I was waiting. And I was waiting. There were days in the car I would just cry. And I would be so in touch with who God was in my life. And I just wanted more of him. In the midst of waiting. In the midst of anxiety. I came to know him at a deeper level. It's amazing what pain and suffering can do for us. It's amazing what happens when we have to wait. But remember, it's who we're becoming in the midst of that. And God is looking for a faithful people in this day to trust him and take him at his word. Because he says he will be there right in the midst of all of that. He doesn't sit on the outside. He's the one that comes into the fiery furnace and says, I'll deliver you there. He comes into the lion's den and says, I will deliver you there. That's what he does. That's where he does his best work. I hope you really believe that. And the test results were good. (laughs) Thank you. I didn't share that. But really, how come? I mean, I've had some real, you know, physical issues. And I know many of you have. 
that's where I really came to know who God was. It wasn't when I, things were going well. I'm sick of asking for everything to go well in my life because that's not when I really come to know who God is. And you may say, that's, I can't believe you just said that. It's because I know him. And I came to know him in a deeper way. And I'll continue to know him in a deeper way because this Christian walk, doesn't, it doesn't exclude me as somebody, as a, who am I? I'm just a, a pastor. I'm a speaker. It doesn't exclude me and it doesn't exclude you. But I'll tell you, he's right there with us. And that's when we grow. Read the great divorce at the end. Right? Yeah. All right, last, can I do one more passage? And I promise I won't take long and then I'll be done. I'll wrap this up. 1, 9 through 11. I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just want to talk about one word in here. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. I could spend all day on every word in here. That you may approve the things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, what did you notice there in, in verse 9? This is a prayer. This is really a poem. This is a poem that he's, he's giving the Philippians. And there's one word, if you are taking notes, that I just kind of wanted to focus on here, that God just put on my heart to sit at and just marinate on. It's this word, knowledge. You see, the word knowledge in the Greek is it's a word, epigenosis. Kind of like, oh, I'm thinking about it all week. Epigenosis, it kind of sounds like a, a skin rash or something. You need like a topical ointment, all right, or something to like take care of it, right? Well, epigenosis, let me tell you what it is and what it's not. Let me tell you what it's not, first of all. When he says that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge, uh, uh, we're not talking about knowledge about certain facts. We're not talking about, oh, I, I know A, B, and C. I, I know those things. That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Epigenosis connotes knowledge that is experiential. I have lived this May you come to really experience who God is. Experience it. It's one thing to learn something. It's one thing to sit in a classroom and learn about becoming a teacher and then being thrust into an environment and it's like sink or swim, baptism by fire, and everything I learned when I read books didn't make any sense. Or how about a better example that all of us will understand? How about raising kids? I preached here for a a while here before I had kids and I talk about things like about kids and I'm like, how bad does it really look? I'd see my my sister made it kind of look easy, my brother and my sister-in-law. Scott, you made it, everybody made it kind of look pretty, it wasn't really easy, but easy enough. And I'm like, I can handle this. This isn't too bad. There's a speaker actually, his name is Charlie Shedd. And uh, he gives, he used to give a talk before he had kids. It, It so reminded me of myself about preaching about things like until you really experience it. He called it the 10 commandments for raising perfect children, right? Ready for this? He had one child, and he changed the title to 10 Hints for Parents. After his second child, he he changed it to a few tentative suggestions for fellow strugglers. After his third child, he stopped doing the talk altogether. I mean, it wasn't until I had real, I mean, listen, and then trying to preach even now and get stuff done. I have two kids and I learned so much more after having kids. I could have read every book under the sun. Yeah, James Dobson, how to raise great boys. Yeah, what do you do when the kid, Jameson, over and over again? No, no, I'm going to touch it. I'm going to do this over and over again. The book doesn't say anything about this. So I don't really know what to do. Somebody want to help me? That's why I bust in. I'm like, mom, what do I do? What do I do here? I want to choke him out right now, but I know I can't. Oh, you didn't want me to say, I'm not supposed to say that in church? It's true, right? It's true. If you don't have kids, you'll find out one day. Come talk to me. 
right? Right? Parents, you with me? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's real experiential knowledge. Now, here's another little example. A quick, I promise I'll, I'll wrap up. Like, here's a guitar, right? Yeah, Chris, is this your guitar? Whose guitar is this? I pr- I'll be easy with it. I know this is probably very expensive. Remember, it's plugged in. I'm not going to move too far. Remember that game some years ago, Guitar Hero? Remember that game, Guitar Hero? And you see people, I, I remember we had like a competition at school and people were, you know, kids were going crazy and they're playing it. Like, if you don't know the game, Guitar Hero, is a, you have like a fake Fisher-Price guitar, right? And then these kids are like playing it and you would think they really thought they knew how to play the guitar. It was like, like buttons, like red, green, blue, Roy G. Biv, whatever. And they'd have a song up there and you'd have to press the, like the, the red button when the red thing came up and you're going, bah, 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 and like the, you know, the song sounds pretty good. And these kids would spend like hours and I'd sit in my head and go, why wouldn't they just pick up like a, like they could spend 50 hours playing fake guitar, but they don't know how to play the real guitar. If they spend as much time experiencing that real guitar, they'd be able to jam out, right? So if that's your kids, or they're playing games like the Wii, and they're there like in front of the TV, and like they're doing their thing, or whatever the game is, get them outside and have them play the real thing. We don't live in a fantasy world. Come on. Can I give you one serious point before you leave? Can I end on a serious note? I wrestled with this, but I like to talk about it occasionally. And I don't know how many young people we have in the room, but um, being a teacher and now a parent, you worry about your kids when they get older and, and, and coming to a real knowledge of who God is. You know, when kids, sometimes they go off and they run away, I think we do them a disservice. We should be praying and praying and praying, but I think we do a dis- disservice sometimes when we, we make them think like it's so bad that they're trying to find the truth. I think that's one of the best things. You know why? Because they grew up and I grew up and sat in this church, right? When I was young, I slept once in a while, not many times, right? I listened to most of the sermons, but there were times like, I didn't even know, you didn't probably even know how much was I really getting. You never saw this happening, right? 2014, did you see this? You didn't see it. They Trust me, they didn't see it. What you see now is not how I was, right? So I would sit there though, and I had a, I got a knowledge, even, you know, uh, some of the youth pastors like Steve and Janine, and they would teach me things and, and others of you that grew up here in the church. And I'd have a real knowledge of things. But when your kids go off and they sit in here and they get, they understand what the gospel is and they sit in kid mo and stuff, understand that's a good thing because yeah, maybe they had knowledge about, but I want them to get real knowledge to really know. And the only way you get real knowledge is if you wrestle with things. And I'm sorry, most preachers I've heard, they don't say, not like I'm, I'm not pumping myself up. It's just, I never agreed with it. I disagree. Let's put it that way. I don't think that works. I think we have to help them listen to their struggles and help them find knowledge for themselves. I can't say that. And if you're a young person in here and you have questions, Good that you have questions. I'm glad. Don't listen to what your parents say. Don't listen to just what I say. You find out for yourself if this stuff is real. I can help you with that, but you find out. I want you to have epigenosis, the full package. I love to teach. It's amazing. It's amazing when you you do what you're born to do. I love to teach. And I hope you come back. And I hope you want to take part in the rest of this series with me. We're going to have a lot of fun. I got some, I got some good stuff. I'm going to drop some bombs. I can't wait. No, I love, this is, uh, this is what I was made for. I don't know, you were made for, this is what God created me to do. 
you know what I want? This is different. Let me tell you what we're going to do in this series. Joanne, beautiful, great, excellent. If you have any questions from what you heard today, I only went through like, what did I go through? 11 verses and breaking it up like according to the way they tell you to do it in seminary and whatever. If you have any questions from today that you would like answered from this text, anything I said, we want to start doing this moving forward where this is a church and we can have open dialogue, right? You come in next week or today, I'm sorry, you come in today, before you leave today, you put your questions in here. Now, where are the little, they have like, yeah, the little, you have little cards. Any questions that you may have that you want answered. I'm sorry, you may know a lot. We're looking for questions. That's really what this is. No, I'm being serious. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.